0: And obviously, what a mind blow to find out at 60 that you have an adult child and grandchildren. And how do you how do you build relationships?
1: Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 158. I just got back at about 9 p.m. last night from an amazing Untangling Our Roots summit, which we united the NPEs, uh, adoptees, and assisted reproductive communities for a few days in Louisville, Kentucky. It was amazing. Uh, My heart is full. I have so many great new resources to share with our community, books and podcasts and speakers and therapists that are starting to work in our field. I took so many notes, so I will be sharing those in the upcoming weeks. I spent time with Jacoba Ballard from Our Father, um, Richard Wenzel, who has been on the this podcast a few times. He drove me for a couple hours from Indianapolis down to Louisville. Um, it was amazing speaking with him about medical professionals and their role in knowing our medical histories or, or per- perhaps our false medical histories, depending on what we knew about our upbringing. I spent time with Eve Sturgis from Everything's Relative, and I wanted to share um, a book club that Eve is working on right now. Um, This is a process writing group with Eve Sturgis, the author of Who Even Am I Anymore? Um, She will be guiding people through her process journal. These courses are about eight weeks long, but you can do them more than that. And they are having them on Thursdays via Zoom, Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. She will also, if that time doesn't work for you, uh, be starting at 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., Thursday. That's Eastern Time. Um, these are book clubs or, or, or courses to kind of help people go through her process journal, Who Even Am I Anymore? And if you want to uh, do more than one eight-week session, I believe you can do that as well. I will put the link below for this writing workshop. Um, the next course will begin mid-May 2023. And again, they will restart every two months. And today I have on an NPE with me, and I've met her before briefly. Hi, Heather. Hello. Nice to see you again. Yeah. I first met you on, a, is it is it a podcast that you help produce, or are you just a friend of the podcast?
0: No, the pastor that does the podcast is yeah. my boss. I'm a secretary at the church he works at.
1: Okay, so what, what is the name of the podcast?
0: Reverend and Reprobate.
1: All right. I call it the Rev Rep Podcast. That's, I think, what their social media handle is. Probably. I was on, you guys had me on, oh, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and you just made me feel so welcome. It was such a good, and yeah. I was so impressed with how much Lucas, how much both of them, both of the hosts of the podcast yeah. knew about the NPE world.
0: Yeah, well, we sit in a very small office together every day, so well, a few times a week. So he gets to hear everything that's going on. So he kind of went on the whole journey with me. He was I there from that. when I found out through, and my mom works at the church. Sometimes she cleans it.
1: Oh my goodness. Okay, so he was there for you during discovery and while and everything that happened since. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, I want to hear how this happened. Um, I will link this wonderful podcast below, "The Reverend and the Reprobate." Um, thank you, by the way, for having me on. You guys really just made me feel oh. welcome, and it was nice to have another NPE there while I was there. Yeah. So, Miss Heather, let's talk about you. Why don't you start with your um, your family of origin, your upbringings, and and let me know about that.
0: All right, so um, I guess a little. I had to organize my thoughts. And the best way I could think, because it, you know, like all of our stories, they kind of twist and turn. Um, I'm 40 now. I was 38 when I found out. So that was January of 21. So not too long ago. Um, I grew up in Texas with my mom. She was a single mom as I was a little kid. And then she, we moved in with a guy when I was, five, six years old, and he had a daughter that was five months younger than me, and then a son that's like three-ish years younger than us. So from, they got married when I was eight. So from then on, that was where I lived during the school year, and I would visit my dad every summer. Um, When my mom got pregnant, she was 21, single, and in the Marines. She was stationed in Quantico, uh, so you can imagine a woman at that age in the eighties deciding to join the Marines. And then I can imagine being at Quantico and the buffet there. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> uh, So she is from, she's the youngest in a family of eight and how she was raised, just kind of like a background on my mom. My grandmother got divorced in the 1950s with five kids and took care of them herself, which, you know, sometimes that meant bread and water is all the food they had. Uh, My grandfather married her, her having five kids and him having none. And they had three more, which my mom is one of those. Um, But they were both rough, alcoholics. Um, Grandma had to be institutionalized for it a few times. So at the time that my mom had graduated high school and then joined the Marines, she was kind of coming out of that and finding a place. She didn't really have a place. Um, My dad, I don't really know a whole lot about his growing up, but he is the oldest son, but not oldest kid of six. So they're both large families and more of a, like the kids went to Catholic school. They lived in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, they all still live there. (laughs) Um, and they hung out in a group. This is what I've always been told. Of course, I have minimal information about how I happened. Uh, my mom and the two men that would be my godfather and my dad, godfathers and my dad, all hung out together, like just partying, whatever. Um, they never dated. They were friends and... I happened. And my mom, so she told me she was four and a half months pregnant when she found out she was pregnant because she was told she'd never be able to have kids. Um, And when she did find out, she went to have an abortion. She's like, I walked in, I thought nothing of it. I was like, I'll just get an abortion and that'll be that. But she said, I walked in, I sat in this waiting room with all of these women and... They called me back and there was a nurse who made her do a sonogram and gave her a picture and said, there's your baby. Now go wait in the waiting room. And that woman saved my life because she went out into that waiting room and looked at that picture and then she was like, once I looked at it, I couldn't do it. So it like made me real to her. And I can imagine at four and a half months pregnant also, like, This would have been a pretty far in abortion. I don't know what that entailed in the 80s. Um, So I ended up happening because of that. Um, And I'm sure, especially as women, can all imagine being young and essentially by yourself and pregnant and going, okay, what now? Um, But I have this really cool letter that I think a lot of us would like to have. That my grandmother, you know, even having the relationship that they did because of the difficulties, my grandmother had was still very supportive. This is a letter that she wrote to my mother about me. Um, Dearest baby Polly, here's your baby's dress. I hope it's okay. Um I sure wish you were home so I could take care of you. I can't hardly stand for you to be so far away that I can't get to you. And you don't have to marry if you don't want to. Do you hear me? I want you to be happy. And if you don't want to get married and just marry for the baby, that's no good. I will always stand for you. You know that. I love you very much. You are my baby girl. So that one gets me. Um, She wasn't really alone in that sense, but she was also very independent. And I can imagine afraid to depend on her mother, considering she wasn't exactly always stable. Um, But once she decided to have me, she decided I was hers and that was that. So um, I was born at Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. And it was just my mom and my aunt. And two weeks after I was born, my dad, he his job in the military was escorting the president on one of his aircraft and taking care of the aircraft. So He was at the mercy of whatever the president's schedule was. Um, So I was two weeks old before he saw me. And they met at a hotel with her best friend. And I guess he saw me for a little while and then went back to work. I think at some point she told me she tried to live with him. Um, I don't know if it was before I was born or after. But it was only a couple of months. And it was in Louisville. And she came back home to Texas, maybe, because at some point she was in New York with me and then came back to Texas. Um, she had three jobs and to take care of me because she was determined to do it by myself. My dad wasn't on my birth certificate, so I had her last name. So she didn't even ask for child support, nothing. She asked for nothing from him, of course, looking back. I understand. Um, but she had her three jobs. She took care of me by herself. She said she had to quit one when I started calling the babysitter mom. She was she was very loving. She was fun, which is part of the reason I think I happened. And she was very, very protective of me, like fiercely protective of me. Um, At some points in my childhood, it was almost like, I was her reason for being to the point where it could be a little heavy on your shoulders. Um, And those years until she was with my stepdad, it was just her and me. And in my childhood memory, it seemed like a lot of fun. I was happy. Um, I guess I didn't really know the difference in not having a dad around because I didn't have a dad around. I was told that my dad and my aunts would come down sometimes and pick me up, take me back to Kentucky. And I would hang out there for a while, but I don't remember it. So in this period, those two guys that were my godfather, they were kind of key and it kind of comes back later that they, they would send my mom letters and cards and, um, Like, I've got one card, it still has money in it. I guess she didn't use it. It's a dollar. She left it in there. But my godfather says, You know, I'm sending you some money. I wish it could be more, but I wanted you to have this to help take care of the baby. And he usually signs it with brotherly love. Um, And then there's some point in there, this kind of comes into play later about my relationship with my dad. He says that my dad, He doesn't see him very much anymore, but when he does, he's really quiet, which is kind of a theme with him. And these were his best bosom buddies. And unfortunately, this man, Dave, that was my godfather, he died uh, when I was really young. He got hit by a car and died. So the other godfather is still alive, but I don't remember him at all. But my dad is still in contact with him. And I was kind of lucky in that my mom really admired my dad. So she never talked bad about him. She never put him down. She kind of put him up on a pedestal, if anything. My mom got married when I was eight. And my dad did too. Both of them married separate people. Um, Dad's still living in Kentucky. Mom here in Texas. Um, Stepmom didn't have any kids. Uh, Stepdad did, had the two, Um, and that was, parent-wise, eye-opening for me, like, I was always thankful because her, my stepdad and his ex were both addicts, and back and forth, back and forth with their kids, they were, they talked horribly about each other to their kids, so I was always really grateful that my parents, I mean, they... They were nice about each other. They never said a bad word about each other and kind of went on about their lives. And it it did lend a bit of stability to my life. But growing up here in Texas, my life uh, and my life in Kentucky, they were drastically different, drastically different. Um, Here in Texas, I grew up in the town that my great grandfather lived in. So, you know, I I go to church still with people that will come up to me and be tell me about my grandpa and my grandma and working with them or growing up with them. So, there's I find a lot of value in having that in those kind of roots. I think between that and being the baby of my family and my mom being the baby of hers so that I'm the baby of all the other cousins made a big difference in my life as far as grounding me. And I think when a person feels loved and valued by a whole bunch of people, it helps you know who you are, and feel grounded and loved in a way that, you know, for my step siblings, they didn't get that. And I think that made a big difference in their lives, and their journey to adulthood and peace and all of that. So I had a giant extended family here, obviously, since we're all from here. And we were the traditional redneck family. It was giant families, lots of beer. Everyone had a cooler. Everyone's got guitars sitting around playing until someone passes out. And then we all go to sleep. Crazy Crazy, but lots of fun and lots of love. But I will preface that with my mother did not drink. She didn't drink. She didn't do drugs. But here I lived in apartments when I was little in a trailer park the rest of the time, which I always thought was fun as a kid because there was always someone to play with. Um, My stepdad, when I was little, he was a lot of fun because when he was drunk, I didn't know he was drunk. All I knew is dad'll come. I called him dad here. Uh, He would go play soccer with us. He'd play baseball with us. My parents were young. They were active. They, they, we went camping all the time. We were always involved and always outside doing something. My stepdad was actually a twin and his twin brother lived in the same apartment block with us for a while. So Every night was basically a family party with his little family and ours just hanging out, barbecuing. And then my cousin moved into another one in the four block. So everyone was always around. I've had friends tell me before, they're like, I invite them to come over for something and they'll be like, Is your whole family going to be there? They're a little overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, probably. My mom, though, as my stepdad's addiction ramped up, She became more stressed and involved with her relationship there. And I was an easy kid. So at that point, I kind of took care of myself emotionally and developed my own coping mechanisms because I kind of had to be the emotional adult. Um, She 100% always made sure I was provided for and protected. But... As far as interaction and guidance, how to handle things, you know, as a parent now, you think I wouldn't put my kid in that position. I also understand that from what she came from, I was in a way better position. So she was trying her best with what she knew. Um, So I, I wouldn't, I'm not down on my mom. I'm not angry at her. Uh, she, She tried hard and she protected me and she loved me. As far as Kentucky then, so in the summers I go to Kentucky. My dad lived on 10 acres in Louisville with a barn and three horses. He showed dogs. It was a completely different world that I was thrown into because, you know, we didn't live in houses down here. That was like a luxury. I had a house. I had my own room. I had horses that I could just go outside and ride when I wanted to. But on the flip side of that, um, there were no other kids, no neighbors. The family all lived here in town, but they didn't really get together. Um, and it was more of a upstanding and then, then my, none of them drank. My cousins would, they would go, Heather said the S word. Heather said the S word. And I was like, No, I did not. And they're going, Yes, you did. You said stupid. Like, that is not the S word. <laughs> and so, the, the, a major difference in <laughs> what uh, the atmosphere was around there. So, I always felt like, I was the bad kid or I was on my toes trying to make sure that I wasn't doing something that I wasn't supposed to or I don't know, looking too redneck, I don't know. My whole family up there would get really upset when I called my stepdad dad, but he was essentially the man that had been raising me. He was there for all of my things. Uh by the time I was 8, I started flying to Kentucky every summer by myself. So he wasn't even coming down there to get me. I would just get on a plane, pop up there at the end of the summer, pop back. So, you know, I, 4th of July, I'm sitting on the steps at this big, pretty house by myself and on the phone with my mom and they're all headed out to the lake and everyone's going to be having fun and I'm feeling all sad and alone. But also There was a lot of stuff I'm sure I didn't have to experience because I wasn't there during the summer where, you know, normally during the school year, I'd at least be at school. Teen years were a little rough. Uh, My stepdad's addiction majorly ramped up, majorly. And he started doing meth. Mom was struggling to take care of me and my step siblings and to some extent, protect us from him. Um, he never laid a hand on me. She would have killed him, but there is a little, I don't know, stumbling block in our relationship because I always looked up to my mom and how strong she was. And then when he started abusing his own children In the house, and she was there, she didn't do anything. Like, she didn't jump in and protect them like I expected her to. So, it caused a couple of problems. In that, I was, you know, about about your teen years, you start to realize your parents are actual people and they're not heroes. (laughs) So, I was realizing she wasn't exactly who I thought she was, and she did have weaknesses. And Um, then there's the whole aspect of dynamics between me and my step siblings in the house, because I was treated better and differently. I was untouchable and they weren't. And I get it. And at the same time, you know, say Christmas, my mom would try to make things somewhat equal by not buying me as many presents because I would be getting nice stuff from Kentucky. And my siblings had no one, my step-siblings had no one to send them nice things. So she would try to balance that out. But still, it, it it happened. They could tell. It was different for me than it was for them, even though we were in the same house. So mom would get really harsh with me. Um, and I guess I should say that I was, I was a goody two-shoes. <laughs> I didn't go to a party my whole high school. I didn't date anybody. I sat in my room and read books. I carried books to the lunchroom. I had lots of friends that I guess were kind of acquaintances, but I never went and hung out with anybody. I just wanted calm and peace is what I craved because there would be some pretty loud screaming fights um, when stepdad got into The drug's pretty bad. You know, like he came home, broke out windows, hit my brother and sister, you know, things like that. Um, So I just tried to stay zen. Like I'm going to get in my little bubble. I'm going to get a book. I'm going to zone out and bide my time because I know this isn't forever. And when I'm an adult, I get to make my life what I want it to be. So that was my goal. My dad was aware of the situation. He knew what was going on. He knew what I was living in. And never once did he say, do you want to come live with me? Is there something I can do for you? Can I come get you? Uh, My stepmom actually told me once that my mother had called up there and told them that if I called asking to come live with them, they were to tell me no. So I obviously was pretty upset that he didn't try to protect me or fight for me. Um, The only mention he ever made was one time as he was putting me on the plane to come back to Texas. He said he was proud of me for handling things down here like I did. That was it. Put me back on a plane. So that was my like total acknowledgement that he knew what was going on and was sending me back willingly. Um, so I know I didn't have him in my corner either, which was ironic because he was your traditional Marine. Um, he didn't say much. He came across as very strong, but he would be standing in the back corner with his arms crossed kind of, but also if we had a family gathering and the little kids were playing, He's the guy on the floor wrestling with the kids, playing, having fun. When I was little, had a great relationship. Um, But as I got older and matured, he didn't know how to relate to me. So he kind of let everyone else take the reins and just kind of existed next to me. So then when I was 17, I met my husband and... We got married a week before my 19th birthday. At that point, the last time I'd seen my dad was when, I guess, a day before I turned 17, when I came back to Texas for the school year. Um, That was the last time he'd seen me. He, actually, I take that back, he came to my graduation. He flew in an hour before my high school graduation and left promptly the next morning. So Jason got to meet, and that's my husband, Jason. He got to meet my dad for that, like, couple of hours after graduation. And my husband had, i leave it to be for childhood. Lived in the same house his whole life. His parents, he, they were married his whole childhood, still are. Uh, he saw them fight once, ever. <laughs> like, wow. His mom has photo albums for every year. <laughs> Um, And so he didn't really understand. He he came in at the height of just chaos in my life and didn't really understand the dynamics with the dad and the mom, how abnormal it was that I've seen my parents in a room together twice ever in my whole life. I didn't have one picture of them together. Like, you've got an album for every year, (laughs) I don't have one picture. Um, So having him, he's there and he's not disparaging, but he has no way to relate to that. He doesn't understand it. My dad, after our wedding, he, my dad did not come to my wedding. We went up to Kentucky for a week after my wedding. So they, the family up there can meet him. Uh, My dad told Jason that I was immature. To be careful because I was immature. And his basis for that was when I had graduated high school, I bought a car, I bought a Ford Focus. And he thought that was immature, which I paid that car off and had it for eight years. So um, <laughs> he had no idea who I was, no idea. Um, so my stepdad, who was an addict, was more of a dad to me than my actual dad ever was and my stepdad and mom divorced when I'd say my daughter was four years old. So they were married for over 20 years and then they got a divorce. Um, my, um, step siblings, I don't really see my stepbrother anymore, but my stepsister and I are way closer now than we ever were. Uh, she even she lived with my mom for a year and a half not too long ago, uh, and her dad lives in the same town. So he's still in the middle of all of that, and um, I do still have my relationship with her, which was rocky in high school years, as most siblings can be. Um, but in my case, I had a redheaded step sibling. So. <laughs> um and she fit the mold um so my husband he finished school he was he's a diesel mechanic he had a year and a half of school and then uh he worked two jobs I kind of worked a job and a half with him we threw papers for extra money and I went to school we paid for my school so this is us as late teens early 20s doing all of this ourselves Adult relationship with my parents, my stepmom and aunt visited after my first kid. Like, we finished school and we're like, what do we do now? I don't know. Let's have a kid. So, we did. And my stepmom and my aunt came down to see her right after she was born. My dad did not come. And then we had a second kid two and a half years later. No visits for that. But when my daughter was almost three and my son was three months, I took a plane to Kentucky myself with both kids, which was quite the journey. Um, (laughs) My daughter got sick. She threw up all over herself on the plane. I'm holding a three-month-old, and I'm like, can someone please hold her so I can clean the vomit off her and the airline attendants. They're like, sorry, we can't hold babies. I was like, vomit or baby? Which one? So it was a fun trip. Me and my little redneck self walking my diapered three-year-old through the airport with no clothes on because she had just vomited all over herself. <laughs> but we made it. And we were going for my mamaw, my dad's mother, her 75th birthday. So all the family was over there. I stayed at mamaw's for two or four days. I can't remember. Before my dad ever even came. Oh, wow. So at this point, he hasn't even met my children. And he lives in the same town. He didn't come to the party because that's how reclusive he is. He wasn't treating me exclusively like this. He treated his wife like this. They live in the same house and he didn't really talk to her. Um, He didn't visit with his siblings unless it was something that was necessary. He just lives in a bubble by himself. Um, So, yeah, we were over there for four days. And if anything would get them over, you think it's your grandbabies and actual babies. Yeah. So he came and got us. We went to his house and there wasn't a whole lot of interaction. He played with my kids a little. That's about it. And in this, like in my childhood growing up, he didn't call me. Like he wouldn't call me for birthdays. He wouldn't call me for holidays. His wife would. His wife called me. His wife set up the trips. His wife did all of that. I think that he still would have if she wasn't there, but because she was, he let her do it all. Um, So after that, it was like four years without talking, which wasn't abnormal. He didn't. Um, So before my next visit going up there, I sent him a letter saying, hey, if you don't want to be a part of my life, that's fine. Just let me know so I can quit making an effort. And if I'm coming up there to visit, I don't want to bring my whole family to sit there awkwardly and stare at each other. You know, we could go do something else. Um, and he didn't respond to my letter. So I called him and talked to him. And I had to explain to them like the last time you people spent any actual time with me, I was 17. And at this point, I'm 30. I've been married for over 10 years, I have two children. I've owned a home for 5 years. Like, I'm a full-fledged adult with a happy marriage and a good life. So, you kind of got to reframe who you think you're talking to or who you think I am when you're talking to me cuz I'm not a kid. Um he on the phone was because I told him, I, I'm not mad at you for not being involved. I'm not mad at you for not coming. I have a great life. Why would I sit around and go, Oh, daddy's not here. You know, why would I do that? I'm just going to enjoy the life that I have. And he was kind of incredulous, like, how could you not be mad at me? Um, but we talked it out, decided to go visit him. The visit was fine. Went back to not really talking or seeing after as usual. Um, I got his cell phone number just as a kind of idea when I was 35. So like five years ago, I actually got his cell phone number. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So That's how much contact was going on. Um, my dad has met my husband and children five times ever. And my daughter turns 18 tomorrow.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and happy early birthday to your daughter.
0: (laughs) I know. I'm not ready for that one. That's a whole nother thing um, my mom, um, she post high school, the tumultuous stuff kind of stopped almost as soon as I graduated. She's lived right down the street from me. She's been supportive. She's great relationship with my kids. Our lives are very intertwined. Um, my daughter goes to the same high school. My mom did. So, you know, my, my daughter's teachers and stuff like that are high school classmates of my mom's. We are so intertwined. It's ridiculous. But we do have a kind of wall in our relationship because we can't discuss things like actual things. We can't discuss what actually happened with my step siblings. We can't just objectively discuss, hey, that was really crappy that I lived With an addict in the house. I'm not mad at you for it, but it is a thing that happened, right? We can't acknowledge that because then she's gonna get really upset and then I'll feel like I have to emotionally care for her and not be able to handle myself. So we just don't talk about things. And I'm pretty much an open book and overly honest. So if I can't be honest with you, a lot of times I just won't talk. Either You can't shut me up or I'm in a corner just not talking at all. (laughs) There's not really a lot of in between with me. Because of that, I can come off pretty cold sometimes to some people. Like I'll just shut my emotions off and I tend to do that with her. More than I need to a lot of times, I think. Um, Discovery. I got COVID in January 2021. Uh, We were all stuck at home. Couldn't do anything. But I've always been a history nut, so I had um, started I'd started my family tree on ancestry years before. And you know, there's always the Native American myth in your family and all of that stuff. So and I'd kind of debunked that already, just following paper trails on ancestry. But then I got hooked by that holiday special. And did the 23andMe plus health, because I was like, why not? Let's get some health. Let's see if I'm really right on that ancestry deal. So I did. It came back the week that we had COVID. Um, and I was 25% Italian. I was like, what? My father's last name was Voris, And they were very, very Dutch, kind of, I guess, in that area not Italian remotely. So, and I knew my mom's family and I knew that they weren't Italian. So thinking, huh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, and I had a mystery uncle. It was a full sibling to one of my parents and I did not recognize the name. So of course I call mom and I'm like, Hey mom, you recognize his name? No, I've never heard that name before. Okay. Um, well, he's showing up as an uncle, if you know anything, but you know, my, her parents had a little bit of a rough life, but it would have had to be like, both of them had a kid and gave it away. Or my father's family, same thing. They we had a pretty big family, but it would have had to have been both of them had a kid and gave it away. Or one of my parents was adopted. And it a little bit of a throw off there was that this man was in Ohio and very close to the area that my dad was born in. And he looked a lot like my dad. So I was like, Hmm, maybe dad's adopted or maybe this other guy's adopted. I don't know. Um, but I did, I make sure to ask my mom, are you sure? Are you sure? that no one else could be my father because I'm thinking if something did happen to her on a base at 21 by herself and I would hope that she wouldn't let me blindly go into finding out who this person is and contacting them if something had happened to her. So I was also looking for that, but she's not telling me that. Um, But I did get a new story on, or an expanded story on conception as far as before she just told me the four and a half months pregnant and tried to get an abortion. Well, now she says, because I was like, mom, it could be like three weeks before or after you think you got pregnant. Anybody else? Anybody? She's like, I don't, I don't know. Well, really, I went to the doctor once and thought I was pregnant. And they were like, no, you're not pregnant. You have a tumor. And then I went to another doctor and they told me something else. And then I went to another doctor and then that one told me when I, I was actually pregnant. So I don't know when I actually got pregnant. It's like, okay. Um, but I feel like that's also not uncommon to get a little bit of a convoluted story when, when we're going through this. Um, but she said, your dad is your dad. Your, I'm sure your dad is your dad. I'm like, okay. So I called my aunt. My paternal aunt. It's like, hey Aunt Michelle, I don't want dad to know this yet, but is there any way that he could be adopted or this other person could be adopted or something? She's like, no. Are you sure that test is for real? You know, the usual. Um, so I did some sleuthing. I found this mystery uncle on Facebook. I found his wife. I messaged them both, just, hey, um, 23andMe, he's popping up as an uncle, just curious if y'all know anything. Uh, The wife messages me back. She said, "Uh, well, I see you're in Texas, and we're all up here in Ohio, and none of the siblings have ever left, except for one, he was in the Marines in the early 80s in Quantico, and I was like, well... Funny thing, I was conceived at Quantico. So, um, and they asked my mom's name, so I told them. And I guess at this point they were conversing with that brother that was at Quantico. Uh, and then they came back and said, was she a cook? I said, yeah. And so that pretty well confirmed it, that he knew who she was and was at Quantico. Wow. So. Oh my gosh, this guy is my dad, <laughs> which I didn't think was going to be a big deal because those, those Godfathers growing up, I'd always had a question because they were so involved as far as sending letters and money to my mom and how my dad wasn't involved. I thought, well, maybe one of them is actually my dad and, and not him. And for some reason he took the hit, you know, I don't know. Maybe Dave was my dad. And because he died, they decided to say Chris was my dad. I don't know. Um, And I think any questions on my mom's part, she thought she could cover it at least when I was born because I had white blonde hair. My mom has dark brown hair and my dad is blonde hair, blue eyed. So when I came out with just the whitest hair, like, okay, okay, (laughs) that's my dad. And my daughter has. I have dark hair now, but my daughter has blonde hair and blue eyes, as does my husband. Um, so they, um, the initial shock. I was. It was kind of a blessing that I connected with that uncle and his wife, because she was um, NPE. She had found out in late adulthood that her dad was actually her stepdad and had kind of gone through the same thing and they were so gracious the first things they were saying to me was don't be mad at your mom don't be mad at your mom it's not her fault it is okay um so kind and gracious and she kind of was able to talk me through that initial just kick to the stomach that i wasn't expecting to have so then they arranged a call with my biological father he is 60 years old he Is a twin. The youngest of seven. And also has no children. And was briefly married. (laughs) So I'm just collecting old people at this point. Mm. Because my mother has remarried to another guy from the Quantico base when she was pregnant with me. (laughs) So. um, uh, And he also has no children. So all of these people have no children. And are now my. parents. (laughs) He is also reclusive. He lives in the same city with all of his siblings. He doesn't go to any family gatherings. He lives with one brother because the brother is an amputee from diabetes. One sibling has already died from type 2 diabetes um, at the point that I met them. And (laughs) um, so that was one of those uh-oh, because the majority of his siblings had type two diabetes. Wow. His father had died in his forties of a heart problem. His mother died in her sixties, and he had already had heart issues and heart surgeries. So that was a whole new on the health front to mm-hmm. add. um he, having never had children, was awkward. Didn't know how to talk to me. And obviously what a m- mind blow to find out at 60 that you have an adult child and grandchildren. And how do you, how do you build relationships, especially if you've never had any parenting experience? Um, so I called my mom. Well, actually I did not call my mom. I take that back. I called her best friend. Because I didn't want to tell my mom over the phone. And I couldn't go see her because I had COVID. So I called her best friend who can actually talk to her about that. And um, she talked to her. She was really upset and embarrassed, of course. She told me she was sorry, but couldn't give me any other details. He told me that he saw her in the lunch line every day. She was gorgeous. He was one of however many come through that cafeteria every day. They were out with friends at a bar one night having drinks and her girlfriends and his guy friends just kind of mingled when they were there. I guess an encounter happened and he was shortly after moved to a different part of the base and never saw her again. So I understand she didn't know who he was. So it's not like she could go back and say, hey, so-and-so I'm pregnant because she had no idea who he was. So as a single 21-year-old, she knew my dad and knew that he was a stable, good person. So she essentially chose him. And of course, afterwards, you've got the family and friends doing the, oh, well, I always knew that. And and then, oh, thanks. Thanks for knowing that, right? And not Mm -hmm. telling me Mm because everyone knew. Um, I called my dad. I was like, hey, dad. I told him right away. I was like, is that why? Is that why you were so reclusive? Why you didn't come around? Um, He was very upset. He said, no, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So then there's the complicated feelings of, well, you didn't know and you still treated me that way. Like you really thought you were my dad, but then can I be mad at him because he wasn't actually my dad, but he thought he was my dad. (laughs) Like, and then the moments of, Why am I upset? My life is fine. Why does it even matter who your biological father is? But it does. But I don't know why it does. Uh, Things making sense. uh, Why she didn't push him for involvement. Why she didn't try to get him on my birth certificate. Why she couldn't live with him. Because I'm sure she couldn't live with that lie every day. Uh, And and thank goodness for that too. Because I can... I mean, I've heard plenty of the stories of how difficult that was growing up with families where you know your mom was living a lie, why her pregnancy story wasn't really there. Um, So in July of 2022, was it? No, 21. So just a few months after I found out, we made a trip. I couldn't very well go by Kentucky into Ohio without stopping with to my Kentucky family. So we made a trip, got a camper, and stopped in Louisville to see family. It was the same as always, reclusive, not talking, until I left. When I was getting in the car to leave, which was my birthday, he broke down, my dad, sobbing, like hyperventilating kind of sobbing. And at that point, I was just mad. Like, you're this upset right now when you've had almost 40 years of opportunity to be in my life. I've invited you literally and you haven't been a part. but you're this upset now. So, you know, I gave him a hug. I got in the car and then tried to control myself because I was so angry and with my husband and kids and on my way to meet my new dad the same day.
1: And your birthday. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's fine. So I showed up in Ohio. My uncle that I originally connected with came to pick me up, went to his house where my bio dad was. And I had already warned him like, hey, if I cry, be okay. I'll get over it. I was, I might just be a little upset. But when I walked in, it was nothing, nothing. I felt nothing. I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. I didn't feel any connection with him. It was nothing. Um, but it, and he was really awkward around it, too, because he is so reclusive. Um, later on, the rest of the family came over. I had a blast with him. Immediately connected. We had so much fun. Bio dad's just kind of standing in the corner watching us all. But we're talking, we're laughing, we're having a great time, uh, which is bittersweet, right? Because then it's the what ifs, but what ifs are no good. You can't go back. Um, And for the duration of the visit, I would say that my bio father really tried. Uh, He was nervous and it was hard for him to get out of his box. He doesn't get out of his box with his family, let alone a stranger. And he did try. Um, There were a few calls after we left. And then he came down last spring break to visit with the brother that he lives with. The visits would be short, like just a few hours in the afternoon, and he would go back to the hotel because it was just so much for him. But considering how much it was for him and um, what he had to push himself to to come see me to do all of these things. And who was supposed to be my dad, knew me all my life and didn't even try that much. I respected that from him. He met my mom. She was in the hospital when he got here. And when she got out, she kind of put off seeing him until the last day he was here. He wanted to go to church with us, which he doesn't do church or anything. And I was like, okay, if you're sure, mom goes. But I called mom and warned her and she's like, oh, no big deal. Okay, we'll both come. Her and her husband, her current husband. Uh, like, you put off seeing him. You really think that in a full church full of people that you know that you're going to be? Okay, okay. So we all went. She, we were there sitting in the back. She comes in. Meanwhile, we're talking like 60 people. It is a small church in the town she was born in. Um, she comes in with her husband. He goes and sits down back to us, doesn't say a word. And she comes back, shakes my biological father's hand, says hi, and goes and sits down. And meanwhile, I'm sitting in this church, like, looking around. And I work there. <laughs> um, looking around, thinking, like, no one in here has any idea what is going on in this little corner of the church right now. Like, how bizarre and ridiculous this is. Mm-hmm. So after service, as I sat through that, I think that was like the breaking point, the too much for him because he went back to his hotel after that, left the next morning and i never heard from or saw him again. I sent him one text, I sent him one card to tell him thank you for the visit and I tried to call him once and that was it um, because I was trying to be careful with him because I knew mentally. He just really couldn't handle it. So I wanted the door to be open for him. But I also don't want to force things. I've got enough people to take care of. But I do talk to my uncle still. And they're all very upset with him and aggravated with him because he doesn't have a relationship with me. Because they were all excited. They thought this might be the thing to bring him out of his shell. Like give him a reason to live kind of thing. Uh, But I talked to him. I'm like, look, he... He was reclusive before he met me, right? Like he didn't come visit with y'all. So why would you expect him at a time this, and let me preface this with his twin sister, who he was very close to, died February of 2022, like two weeks before he came down here, unexpectedly. Uh, Complications with the COVID and her diabetes. I was very grateful to get to meet her because I could tell how happy she was for him. And she gave me a beautiful one of those James Avery bracelets with a locket and all that. Um, So I was very grateful to meet her. But that's a lot. Just losing your twin is a lot. But then coming down here to visit us and meeting my mom and all of that. Was a lot for anybody, let alone someone who doesn't talk to people to begin with. So I was like, don't, don't force that. If where I've left it now is if they are open to hanging out and for me to go up there, see pictures of family, all of that, I would love to do that. Uh, He doesn't have to come over and see us. And I'm fine with that. Just so long as they're not going to have to force it and make it a thing, which I think they're they're kind of to that point now that they realize that too.
1: So that's where we're at. Yeah. It is so baffling. Did he ever make an attempt? At, I'm guessing I know the answer. Did he ever make an attempt with his, I mean, his grandkids? Did he ever try to connect with your kids? He said that's
0: what he was most nervous about. Like he doesn't feel good enough. He works in a warehouse unloading trucks. Um, Like seriously, like you, you don't have to be any kind of person, but he didn't feel good enough. And he kept apologizing for that a lot, but also the, that first phone call I had with him, he told me he had went the day that he found out and changed me as his beneficiary at work. I was like, Whoa, (laughs) you you didn't need to do that. Mm. (laughs) But it's that whole, like, where's my responsibility. I have a kid now, but I didn't, do anything to raise them where's my responsibility Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. as we know a lot of mps don't have a parent react that way yeah but he doesn't feel like enough and he did try with them more Mm -hmm. so than me even but he just didn't know what to do
1: and you brought up he had had no parenting experience and i think your mom your mom i'm a mom i can only imagine and especially for a man right in his 60s to to find out but i gosh it's it's just Unbelievable that he wouldn't just be overjoyed and show you, and maybe he was and didn't show it, but to not just want to embrace you and this family he has, especially after losing his twin. Um, I
0: think he did. I think he couldn't.
1: He mentally can not He mentally can't. Sounds like that, how you describe him just kind of sitting in the corner, even when you're connecting with the rest of the Newfound family. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, Heather. I'm so glad I got to hear your whole story today. I know we've spoken before. Um, If people had any questions for you and wanted to reach out to you, could they do that? Yes, they could. What's the best way to reach you? Email. Okay. And can you go ahead and give me the best email address?
0: Yeah. swan S-W-A-N-N,
1: at gmail.com. Wonderful. I'll put that down below um, just for any questions or supportive comments people want to send Heather's way uh, Heather I really appreciate the time you took sharing your your story with us today um, amazing you your birth father is, has you now and has chosen not to reach out to you since that trip um, good luck with everything and thank you so much for sharing today You're welcome. these stories are here for us to identify with If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.